Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow and enjoy the episode. We're starting a new series this morning entitled Christ Complete. And uh, we're going to be working through the, the Gospel of John. And something about John, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there are lots of sevens in John. Seven different events, seven encounters. So for example, the Gospel of John uh, has seven recorded miracles. But not only seven recorded miracles, you'll see there are also seven face-to-face encounters that people have with Jesus. Not only that, but there are seven witnesses, those who testify to the deity of Jesus or to the divinity of Jesus, that he truly is the Son of God. And then we see there are also seven self-descriptions that Jesus makes of himself, what we would often refer to as the seven great I Ams. And so all of those are found in the book of John, and we're going to focus on the last of those sevens, the I Ams that Jesus spoke about. And that's why we've entitled the series Christ Complete, because every one of the I Ams gives us a, 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 another dimension, another dynamic of who Jesus is. And not only of who he is, but what he offers to us, what he gives us, what he requires of us, what he challenges us with. And so this morning, we're going to start with the first of those, which is, I am the bread of life. And that's in John chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles in whatever form, please turn there with me. It's not going to come up behind me, because we're actually going to read the whole passage. And I debated in my mind long and hard, do I just pull out some of the key verses, or do we actually read an extended passage of Scripture? Now, I think sometimes forgive me if I offend you in this, is that we can be lazy with Scripture. We like to pull out the key verses or the relevant verses or the palatable verses. And we tend to just focus on a few verses because we feel like we don't have the stamina to read long passages of Scripture. Well, this morning we're going to change some of that thinking. And we're going to read almost the whole chapter of uh, chapter 6 of John. And I'm going to make some comments as we go along, but in essence, I'm not going to give you a three-point sermon this morning. We're going to trust that as we look at this, that God's going to just release some wonderful truths amongst us and in us this morning, truths that he would want us to lay hold of and actually begin to live out. All right, so you good for that? Have you got the passage, John chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 1. Now, sometime after this, now again, you need to know, well, what was before this? Well, you've got to go back down to John chapter 5, and you need to see what that meant. But sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because, here it is, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. And I've come to realize that signs, in whatever form, signs, wonders, miracles, are what get people's attention. But not only do they get people's attention, but they're in many ways signposts to point people to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us chasing after the signs. He wants us chasing after him. However, he releases signs and wonders. Why? To get our attention and to point to Jesus. 
if it's just the sign we're looking for, if it's just the miracle, if it's just the demonstration of God's power, how awesome as that is, it's not enough. Because those declare who Jesus is. They point us to him who is the author of every sign, wonder, and miracle. All right, now if I'm going to preach on every verse, we're in trouble this morning. Eh? Okay. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. In other words, would Philip be part of the solution or would Philip only see the problem? And I want to remind you this morning that every challenge you and I face is a test. Every challenge is a test. Will we see God in the challenge or will we see the giant before us in the challenge? Philip was tested. Was he going to be part of the solution or would he only see the problems? And Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of them to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Now he saw a possible solution. And he said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now, he probably hadn't yet heard Jesus talk about all we need is the faith, the size of a mustard seed. And we can say to this mountain, go, and it will go. And we can say, this crowd be fed and they'll be fed. He hadn't heard Jesus talk about that yet. And so maybe we can understand how he's saying, I've got this. This is what's in our hand, but I'm not sure how far it's going to go. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, that excludes the women and the children, eh? It's a pretty big crowd. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Here's something that struck me when I read this, is that Jesus gave thanks before the miracle. Now, I wonder how often we do that. I'll certainly give thanks after the miracle, and rightfully so. But what about giving thanks before the miracle? What about when we, let's begin to give thanks for those things we're trusting God for, those things we're asking Him for, those things we're believing for. Let's give thanks. And then allow see what God wants to do in it. That's what Jesus did. He gave thanks and a miracle happened. And when they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. 
Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now we're going to skip that section entitled Jesus Walks on the Water, not because it's, it's not profound, it's, it's phenomenally profound. But for the sake of time, we're going to just jump to chapter 20, uh, verse 25 here. And it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You ate those five loaves and those two fishes, you had your fill, and now you're coming to look for me again. In other words, they wanted what following Jesus gave them. Food, provision, miracles, excitement, etc., etc. They were looking to get more from Jesus and not more of Jesus. See the difference there? They were looking for Jesus for what they could get from him. They weren't looking for him for who he is and wanting more of him. And I've come to realize I think that's true of many people, isn't it? Jesus, if I follow you, then what's in it for me? What will I get out of it? What freebies are on offer? How will you bless me? But you know what? Wanting more of Jesus will cost you. And the question is, are you willing to pay the price of wanting more of Jesus? Because if it is more of Jesus, you know what? It's got to be less of me. Eh? <laughs> it's got to be less of you. In fact, Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 16. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Make less of themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's if we want more of Jesus. But it's not only how much of Jesus we have, but how much of us does he have? How much of you does he have? That's just as important. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. Do not work for food that, fo that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Again, it's a reminder that eternal life is not something that we can achieve. It's something that we receive by faith in Christ Jesus. Eh? Big difference. Can never achieve it. But we can and we need to receive it. For on Him... Jesus, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Notice their works, plural. They missed the point that eternal life is God's gift to us through Jesus. It's not something that they could do. It's not something they could achieve. They could never work for it or earn it or any of those things. It was to be received. But their question is, what are the works, plural, that we must do? And Jesus answered the work, notice singular, of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Why? Because it's not about doing, 
It's about receiving. It's about believing. It's by faith, not by works, that we receive salvation, that we receive the gift of eternal life. And yes, we may be saved for works, but we are never saved by works. Please hear that this morning. And the fact that you are saved means that God not only has saved you to spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever, which is awesome. But he's also saved you because he's got things for you to do here on earth. Good works that he's prepared for you to do even before the creation of the world. Because you know what, if he... If it was just to go to heaven, then surely the moment we get born again, God just takes us home. But he leaves us here on earth because there are works that he's called us to do. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? They were looking for the sign. They weren't looking for Jesus. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they're saying if Moses could do that for us then, well, what can you do for us now? Show us what you've got on offer for us. And Jesus said to them, very, very, or very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven which is infinitely superior to the manna that was provided in Moses' day, which only met their physical needs and only for a day. Very temporary. And Jesus is starting to show them now that there's something far superior to that. And this is what he says, for the bread of God is he, speaking of himself, who comes down from heaven And gives life to the world. And so Jesus is saying that he is the only true and genuine source of spiritual life and nourishment. It's only found in him. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. In essence, they're saying, sir, give us what we need to be happy. Give us what we need to be content and to live satisfied which sounds exactly like our consumeristic culture of today. Give us what we need. Give us what we want. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, and here's the key verse, I am the bread of life. Put another way, I am the living bread that gives life. I am the only permanent solution to your desire for life, your need for life, your need for meaning, your need for fulfillment. I, Jesus, am that bread that gives life. The thing you have to understand is that in Jesus' day, bread wasn't just an important part of the meal. It wasn't even a popular part of the meal. It was the essential part of the meal. Everything was based around bread. Why? Because bread was life. Bread wasn't tacked onto a meal. It wasn't seen as an optional extra. 
No, bread was the main thing when it came to food. And of course, that may be hard to understand in our modern culture, hey, of gluten-free diets (laughs) and of the mindset that carbs are of the devil. Because isn't it true, if you're wanting to lose some weight, what's the first thing you set aside? It's bread. (laughs) And even for those of you who do enjoy bread, the truth is that bread's got to be to your exact taste, to the texture you want, to your exact specifications. And of course, when it comes to bread, we see there's a whole variety of options with bread. Now I did a little bit of a research. I went on the countdown um, website and I typed in the word bread. My word. I don't know how many pages came up about bread. There's white bread, multi-grain bread, whole grain, wheat grain, wholemeal, wheat meal, soya and linseed, low carb bread. There's an interesting one. Uh, rye bread, sourdough bread, not to mention all the other um, specialized breads that we get. My point is this, is that the the choice is endless. eh? But here's the thing. Just like we can choose a, a type of bread, you know what? We can also choose a type of Jesus. A Jesus of our making. A Jesus of our liking. Or what we do is we, we choose a characteristic of Jesus, one that suits us over another characteristic of Jesus. And so, for example, I'll take his grace, but not his truth. I love his kindness, but don't talk about his sternness. Or yes, his love, I'll embrace that and I'll receive that, but not his anger. Or I, oh yes, I want his mercy, but not his discipline. And so we could go on and on. The truth is, Jesus comes as a package. You cannot pick and choose the parts of Jesus that you like or the parts that are palatable for you or even preferable. Not at all. And we went, Cole and I went to a restaurant a while back and uh, we ordered a garlic loaf, but not as the main meal but as a starter to the main meal. It wasn't an essential part of the meal by any means. It was an appetizer. It was an optional extra. Nice to have, but not essential. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes we can approach Jesus like that. As an appetizer, while we get on with the main course of life. Yes, Jesus, nice to have you, but not essential. And so what do we do is we add him onto our lives rather than him being our lives. We can so often adopt a take it or leave it attitude with Jesus. And the same with his word and his commands and what it is that he's called us to. I'll take a bit of that, Jesus, but I I don't think I want some of that. Or yes, I'll do that which you've called me to, but not that. That's too tough. That's too difficult. That's too challenging. And so like that garlic bread, 
In some ways, we nibble at Jesus before the main course of our lives, our plans, our desires, our futures, our careers, our money, our whatever, whatever, whatever. But you know what Jesus is saying? I'm not the appetizer before the main meal. I'm not the flavor of the month. I'm not the starter to your life. I'm the essence of your life. I'm the one who is essential to who you are and to this life that I've called you to. And to live it for my honor and my glory, you cannot do it without me. You cannot just tag me onto it. You cannot do your own thing and then just hope that I'll bless it. You cannot make your own decisions and assume that I'll just rubber stamp it. No, we either all for him and live for him or we live for ourselves. But you can't have both. Let's keep reading. Verse 35. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the amazing thing, that when we come to Jesus, and I experienced this at the age of 16, he took away the emptiness. He filled the void in my life. And he satisfied the spiritual hunger I had. And he goes on, he says, but as I've told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Wonderful reminder again is that God initiates salvation. We then respond. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Which tells us that Father turns no one away, no matter what. But it's also the assurance that Jesus will keep and preserve those who come to him. That's the confidence I have. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Which again tells me that the true believer will persevere because of Christ's hold on them. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Which again tells me that no true believer, and the emphasis here is on true believer, will ever lose their salvation. Because of Jesus' promise. Verse 41. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. In other words, unless the Father gives them the desire to do so. And I will raise them up at the last day. 
It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. Why? Because that manna was temporary. It couldn't give life, nor could it sustain life. But, Jesus says, here is the bread, speaking of himself, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. In other words, the life I give is eternal, he says. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. That living bread that satisfies every spiritual need, every spiritual hunger. Whoever eats this bread, Jesus is saying, whoever appropriates me as their sustenance will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world, which of course he did at Calvary. Verse 52, we're coming to the end. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. I mean, that can be jarring, hey? As we read that, but can you imagine in that day and age, hearing it first-handed for the first time ever, that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And that's why to eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood, however barbaric that may sound, is in essence to take on the nature and the person of Jesus. That's what he means by that. It's much more than just believing in him. It's far more even than just trusting him. It's becoming one with him. It's being united with him. It's taking on his nature, his character, his attributes. It's becoming more like him, where his life becomes your life. That's what Jesus is saying. And he reiterates it when he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink and for the third time he says it again whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them which again speaks of a deep connection and true intimacy just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And will not just live, but will truly live, and will have a reason to live because of Jesus. And that's why it's only in Christ that we find the true meaning of life. And that true meaning is to know Jesus and to make him known. 
first and foremost. And he ends this discourse with, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread, not nibbles at this bread, not snacks on this bread, but whoever feasts on this bread, whoever is nourished by this bread, will live forever. And friends, I want to say to you this morning that if we're going to feed on Jesus, we cannot just know about Jesus. We cannot just observe Jesus from a distance and somehow think that that will satisfy us or sustain us spiritually. Because let's face it, that's what religion is, isn't it? It's watching Jesus from a distance, observing him, but never being intimate with him. To feed on Jesus means he needs to become a part of you. Where he's invited into every part of your life. And not only is he invited, but he is involved in it. He's included in every decision. In every course of action. We haven't just tagged him on. We're not just coming to him when our our decisions and our choices have, have gone south. And he's okay still that we come to him, even though we haven't included him in them. Because he's such a gracious father who wants to help turn things around for us. But here's the thing, not to involve him is not to be sustained spiritually. Feeding on Jesus is about drawing from Jesus. It's about spending time with Jesus. It's about fellowshipping with Jesus. It's about growing in Jesus. It's about being strengthened by Jesus. And to stop feeding on Jesus is to become spiritually malnourished in every way. And long-term spiritual malnourishment causes us to wither and die spiritually. So let me ask you this morning, I'm going to invite the musos if you want to come up, please. Musos, um, worship team, sorry, didn't know you were musos. <laughs> Thank you. Let me ask you this morning. In fact, just let's bow our heads. Are you looking for a handout from Jesus as a, as a supernatural bread provider? Or are you wanting Jesus, the bread of life? Big difference. And we saw the crowd that were following him wanted for what they could get from Jesus. A handout. They weren't wanting Jesus. Well, let me ask you, do you follow Jesus for what you can get? How he can bless you? What he can do for you? Or are you following him for who he is? And what he actually wants from you? And what he's called you to? How much of Jesus do you have? And how much of you does he have? 
none of you? Some of you? Or was it all of you? And I don't know where you sit. I don't know whether you have fed on Jesus, if you've received Him as the bread of life. But if you've never made that choice, the truth is He has none of you. Because it's only in our response to Him It's only our receiving the gift of eternal life that we give ourselves to Him. If you've never made the decision this morning to accept Jesus as the supernatural bread of your life, the one who saves you for eternity, but also the one who gives you life in all its fullness, well, this morning can be your opportunity to receive the gift can't earn it you'll never deserve it it cannot be achieved by what you do it's all about you just giving yourself over to Jesus and saying Lord today I relinquish my life myself I repent of my sin and I give myself to you promises he gives you life life in all its fullness here on earth but life forever and ever and that's the starting point but for others this morning how much of you does he have a little bit some of you well you know what he wants all of you Because that's what Lord means to be Lord of your life the one who is in control headship the one who has authority the one who leads the one who is in the driver's seat of your life these are honest questions that I've put before you this morning questions I challenge myself with and as we sing this song Jesus, you alone. It's because we want to personalize that. And we want to declare and say, Lord, it's all about you. My life belongs to you. I don't want you just to have some of me. I want you to have all of me. I want to live my life for your honor and for your glory. I want to receive you as the bread of life. Not as an optional extra. but is the essence of who I am. And I want to come and continually feed on you because that's where life comes. As we sing this song, I want to urge you to do business with God. Lay some things down you need to lay down. Confess some things that you know need to be confessed of. Some of you, you need to make right with God. You need again to put Him on the throne of your life. Where you serve Him, He's not here to serve you. And it's in honoring Him that He honors us. We bless you for that, Lord.
And we thank you for what you're doing. 